So we're going to talk about today, this is part 10 of 12 of Beyond Order. And the sort of catchphrase of this sermon series is, it's easy to get saved, but it's hard to get your life on track. As Joyce Meyer once said, a lot of people are headed for heaven, but living in hell on earth. And that's really true, I think. You can get saved right now. In fact, if you're not, not sure about that, we'd love to pray with you after the service. All you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart. It's all about grace. It's not about striving. It's not about being perfect. It's just about saying yes to what he did for us on the cross. But getting our life together vocationally, relationally, financially, health-wise is challenging. And the Bible has a lot to say about all of those things. And we like to look at life principles here. We like to get beyond order, beyond ourselves, beyond our walls, beyond the ordinary. And today we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about having joy in our relationships. And relationships are so very important. And all of us have failed at relationships. And it's tempting when we fail at a relationship to to just sort of pull back into ourselves and to be isolated and not to step forward and try those relationships again. It's easy to quit. And it's so important as we get older to be intentional about our human relationships and to really work on them with each other. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to move my, go to the next slide if you would. We're going to uh, look at a lot of Bible today. So get your Bibles ready. Positive discipline, keeping joy in our relationships. We're going to look at uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is not a book you want to pick up if you're dealing with depression. There's a lot of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You know, you just don't want to read that stuff. But there's good stuff in it, too. So I'm going to pick out one of those great verses. This is probably one of the best relational passages in the Bible. And that is Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and following. So we're going to dig deep into the Bible today. And we're going to look at relationships and what the Bible says about them. And like I say, the Bible says a lot about relationships. Jesus wouldn't have made this part of the great commandment if he didn't think it was important to love one another. And not just have generic love for the human race, but to actually establish, maintain, and cultivate life-giving relationships. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. The some of the newer translations say they help each other succeed, which is really very close to the original Hebrew. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. My wife likes to swim in the pool, and I had to work yesterday while she was swimming in the pool out in the desert, and I was nervous because there was nobody else there. I thought, well, what if something happens to Wendy? You're supposed to swim with a, with a buddy, with a partner, those kind of things, and hiking by yourself. My wife and I have known a couple of people who've died hiking by themselves. They go off and get in trouble, and there's no one around to help them out. There's no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him. They can actually go back to back. There's a wonderful phrase, I've got your back. If you make any waves in this life at all, in other words, if you do anything that attracts any attention, there will be people who want to shoot you in the back. Who here has been in a break room when you heard somebody shooting somebody else in the back? It, uh, it happens a lot. But if somebody has your back, if they're actually back to back with you, they're defending you. Somebody who will defend you. We need people who will defend us in public and in private. 
Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord, having the Lord involved in our relationships, is not quickly broken. Relationships can be much deeper and better if we have the Lord involved in them because we've got his presence and his love for us. Jesus loved us, the Bible says, while we were yet, while, I'm getting so excited, I guess, slow down. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us, not as we could be, but as we are, and it gives us grace for one another. If you've experienced the grace of God, you're more likely to be gracious with other people. And that graciousness does a lot to build relationships. So today we're going to look at what is a primary relationship. We've got lots of other relationships. What is a primary relationship? There's casual relationships, which are wonderful. There's work relationships. There's colleagues. There's neighbors. There's all those things, cousins. But what is a primary relationship? Why do I need one to three of them? Sociologically, psychologically, nobody can maintain more than three primary relationships. That's just not possible. Nobody has enough energy to do that. One is the absolute minimum to thrive in life, and three is the absolute maximum. Jesus was pretty good at everything, so he had three, Peter, James, and John. He brought them with him at Gethsemane. He brought them with him to raise the dead. Whenever, When he went to get transfigured on the mountain, he brought Peter, James, and John. Those were his primary inside circle. Jesus could handle three. Most of us can handle one or maybe two, and three is the maximum. But to get through life, you need at least one to live your life to the maximum of joy. Primary relationships are just so very, very key, and they're hard. They take work. They take maintenance. They take energy. They take a lot of different things. They don't just happen. People, oh, I just fell in love, and we had this primary relationship. Well, good luck maintaining that past the first few weeks. It takes a lot of energy to maintain a marriage or a primary relationship. How can I strengthen and bring joy into my primary relationships? How can I do that? There's a lot of people who don't have any primary relationships. And if so, don't beat yourself up, but start working on that. My mother always used to say when occasionally I'd felt like I had no friends, I would say, I've got no friends in fourth grade because I just got in a, literally a fight on the playground or something. And she would say, if you want a friend, be a friend and get started on it. Get started on it. And so having a friend is so important. Having a primary relationship is, uh, is just so key. And the devil will tell you you're better on your own. And that is a lie from the devil. You'll be better off on your own. If you don't have a primary relationship, nobody will bug you. And you'll be able to do what you want and watch the TV shows you want and eat what you want and go where you want. I'm going to tell you what happens to you if you follow that advice. And it's not pretty. So let's look at Genesis. I told you we're going to look at a whole bunch of Bible stuff. Genesis 2, verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And as he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, whoa, man. No, he didn't say that. That's just a... 
And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. The Hebrew word is ish and the, the, uh, uh, for man, and for woman is isha, taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There is a, sort of intim- a certain intimacy that comes with marriage. Now, there's other kinds of primary relationships. It doesn't have to necessarily be marriage. Primary relationships. Marriage is the central one for human behavior. Once again, you don't have to be married to have great primary relationships because it includes physical intimacy. And physical intimacy enhances those relationships in a big way. And, uh, but singleness can be a calling. There is a difference between people who are single because God calls them to be single and people who are single because they just don't get along with people. And there is a big difference and a fuzzy line between the two. Who here has known somebody who has singled their whole life and they're just difficult as all get out? I mean, there, there are some people like that. Um, they're just really, really difficult because nobody else told them to stop being an idiot. You, know, you, 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 need, you need someone in life to kind of correct you from time to time. And we're going to talk about what happens. The apostle Paul was called to be single, and some people are called to be single. And it's especially important if you're a soldier, if you're a sailor, if you're a missionary, and it helps to be single because then you can be very, very flexible geographically. You can go do different things. And the Catholic, the Roman Catholics, are kind of right about that. Uh, priests have a lot of flexibility. Where they're wrong, and this is just my opinion, is thinking that there's a lot of people like that, and there aren't. It's a very unique calling to be single your whole life and to uh, be called into a single life. They seem to think that all pastors and all Christian leaders should be that way, and I, it's very rare to run into people who can thrive in that setting and do really well with that. They do exist. But there's a point to it. You really can go do what you need to do. You can pack a suitcase and go to Zimbabwe and, uh, and lead a tribe to the Lord. You can just go do that without having to worry about marriage and kids and retirement and all that kind of stuff. So there is a calling of being single. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7. And if you, if you want to read the most ADD chapter of the Bible, read 1 Corinthians 7. It's, it's like shoots and ladders. It goes all over the place. And Paul is... Uh, Paul is a hoot in 1 Corinthians 7 because you just literally, woo, 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 unmedicated, just going all over the place. He's got some good stuff in there. He's got some good stuff in there. But he basically says it's good. It's good to be married. It's better to be single like me is what he says because uh, then you don't have to worry about a whole bunch of stuff. But then he says for most of you that won't work because you're too, well, I won't use that word. You, uh, you're too physically attracted to the opposite sex for that to work out. We'll put it that way. So here's what he says. This is in 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, and the Greek word is a little earthier than that, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And we're skipping several verses here. For I wish that all men were even as myself. I wish everybody was like me. And that Paul had a huge ego. He went through associate pastors like nobody's business. First he's with Barnabas, then he's with Silas, then he's with Timothy. He just wears them out. And he goes into a town, starts riots, goes to jail. I mean, not the kind of guy you want for your youth pastor. You're, you're, you're just, you're just, you know, lots of jail time, all that kind of stuff. So 
he's a big personality and he was probably a combination of someone called to be single and also just too difficult to be married. And there's a lot of people who've made the case that his wife probably kicked him out. That uh, just said, enough of this. Just go do your thing and I don't want to be with you. Explains a lot of some of his behavior. But anyways, primary relationships, three max, one minimum. To thrive psychologically, you need at least one. Now, if you don't have one, don't beat yourself up. But work in the direction of going that way, finding someone you can have a primary relationship with. Needs to be at least roughly a peer. Can't be a parent, can't be a child. You can be very close to a parent or a child, but that's a power relationship. And somebody who's changed your diapers is in a different relationship with you than someone who's like a, a somewhat of a peer. Please hear me, you can be very close to people in a power relationship, but it's not a true primary relationship because those relationships don't last. Your parents die, your kids move away. Primary relationships are intended to be permanent. Till death do you part type of thing. People who have your back no matter what, all the way down the line. And to develop those things is really, really key. It can't be your pastor, your counselor, your, um, a lot of people use bartenders for that. You know, they, just, they talk, tell everything to the bartender. Um, I, as a life coach, I've got a life coaching business. I work with people who want to change their jobs. That's sort of my specialty. And I hear a lot of intimate stuff, but it's not a primary relationship because, because I'm in charge of that whole thing and I've got power in that relationship and that person doesn't. So if there's a power differential, it can't be your boss, can't be your employee, but it can be a coworker, can be a brother or a sister physically or spiritually. It can be a prayer partner, uh, can be a best friend, can be a lot of different things, uh, can be a spouse. We'll talk about that. But it's best when it's at least roughly a peer situation. Otherwise, there can be abuse in the relationship and a whole bunch of things can, can come into it, which is why they say don't date your boss or your, or your employee at work because it's a, it's a differential kind of situation right there. It has to be a go-the-distance thing. Somebody you stick with no matter what. Somebody you say, all right, you know, I'm going to have your back, you're going to have my back, and we're going to stick this out. And you're going to make some big mistakes in life, and you're going to do some stuff that bugs me, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it, and we're going to stick with this together. Not just recreational. There are people that we have a lot of fun with. Um, I think back to high school and college, there was a lot of guys I had a lot of fun with, but they weren't primary relationships. And the minute I moved away or they moved away, it was over. And if they came back, we'd still go have fun together. But that's not the same thing. Uh, it's not just a recreational thing, although recreation is a big part of a good relationship. God gives us siblings. Those of you, how many of you grew up with siblings? Raise your hands if you had some siblings. God gives us siblings so we have a chance to practice, or cousins, or close neighbors, or whatever. We have a chance to practice um, those kinds of relationships. And sometimes we fight like cats and dogs with our siblings. But many people become a lot closer to them as they get older because you come from a common background. You've got a common story. There's some stuff that you can share with each other. Siblings can often make really good uh, primary relationships, especially as you get older. Uh, I'm a lot closer to my brothers than I was when I was younger. I was the oldest, so I thought they were young and stupid, so I just ignored them. I, I was out of the house before I paid any attention to them at all because I thought, oh, they just... Uh, 
my brother in junior high, ugh, you know, I, just, I, I didn't want to spend time with him. But now we've got a common story and we've got a common history, common values. Uh, we've got stories to tell about camping and dad and mom and everything else. And it's, we talk at least once a week now. And it's been really, really cool to see that. So siblings are practice when we're growing up. And people with a lot of siblings often have an easier time making friends. It's interesting how that works. The maximum growth for a primary relationship is a male-female relationship. Why? Because it's harder. It's a whole lot harder to have a primary relationship with someone of the opposite sex. Because we are so different. We are so different. <laughs> I do pre-marriage counseling and the, the top... The top five marital needs of men and women, according to thousands of surveys or thousands of people surveyed in several surveys, none of the five, top five match at all. We're just really different from each other. Very, very different. And that makes for more growth because you're just, you're just actually lifting more weights. It's a, a male male friendship or a female female relationship can be a lot easier in some ways. A male-female relationship is just plain hard, and comedians have been milking that forever because uh, there's all kinds of comedy in those male-female marriages and relationships. You're going to get your maximum growth out of a male-female marriage. That's just the way it is. It, uh, it's good stuff. One of the problems is the person with whom you have a primary relationship is going to be deeply flawed, just like you. Uh, the idea that, oh, you're marrying the perfect person or this person is perfect for you, uh, not happening. Uh, it's, it's just hilarious. We had our men's group on Monday and we talked about our marriages. I'm not going to tell you anything anybody said because it's very confidential. But let me just say that um, people have been married for more than just a little while. There's no illusion that the person is perfect. This person's perfect for me. You complete me. It's just it's movie baloney. It really is. It's just it's just not true. Um, I think God puts incompatible people together in marriage just because He likes entertainment. I, he doesn't have cable, you know, so He just He just puts people together. My wife and I took a pre-marriage test, and our scores were like this. And I still remember Ron Vignac who shared with it. And he says, "I thought about this for a long time about what I was going to say." He says. I'll say it this way, he said. One of your best options is not getting married. He says, I've never seen a more divergent couple in all of the time I've done pre-marriage counseling. But that's true of pretty much every couple. And the more divergent you are, the more you're going to learn and the harder it's going to be. But the benefit and the payoff is going to be much higher, much higher. The idea that you're going to find this person is just easy, uh, no. You're going to find someone who doesn't just have problems. The person that you're making a primary relationship with, marriage or otherwise, is not just flawed in himself or herself. That person is flawed for generations of, of stuff. This is, uh, this is um, here from, uh, 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 this is just a great passage on this. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children to the third and fourth generation. It's not like God is out to get people, but if you've got alcoholic grandparents, that runs in your family. If you've got violence in your family, that runs in your family. If you've got codependence in your family, that runs in your family. And all of us have received not just family blessings from our family, but family curses. It, you're marrying a whole, or you're starting a, a, a primary relationship with a whole family tree. 
And a lot of stuff has come down the pike. And you may not even discover it for the first few years. I think, oh, my goodness, all of this stuff. And uh, some of you are poking each other. We're married right now, so I just uh, I won't point you out. But uh, it's it's kind of funny how that works. There's stuff in our families, people. But we have to reverse the curse. Generational curses, generational blessings, they can all be turned around. And uh, it says here in those days, Jeremiah, they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You really can reverse that curse, but you have to know what it is to reverse it. And you have to tell the truth about the stuff that's come down in your family. And over time, that stuff needs to be healed, and it can be healed. And it can you can draw a line in the sand and say, this has been, in, violence has been in my family, alcoholism has been in my family, divorce has been in my family, but this far and no farther. You can actually draw a line and end it right there. And I think it's so important to reverse that curse. So why do you need a primary relationship? Here's why. People without primary relationships tend to drift in the direction of their greatest dysfunction. Slowly. They start to drift in the direction of their greatest dysfunction, whatever that happens to be. Because there's nobody there to correct them. There's no one there to say, stop it. There's no one there to say, you really can't act like that around people. There's no one there to say, you know, you're really hurting yourself. You know, you're your own worst enemy when you do this, that, and the other thing. And we need people in our lives like that who are going to go the distance with us, who have our best interest at heart, but still say those things and say, please stop doing that. It doesn't come across well. We've all seen people who've been without any primary relationships, and over the years, they get more and more eccentric and not always in a good way. They can become very eccentric in a really negative way. So we need to have those friendships, those relationships that keep us grounded. This guy has no idea he's heading over a waterfall. It's That's how people are sometimes. And... The Bible says in Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need people to sharpen us. We need people to tell us that we need a little better edge on some things. And do it lovingly. And to do it because they care about us, not because they're trying to put us down or trying to walk over us. They do it because they want us to do better. They want us to be our best self. Somebody who can bring out the best in someone. And someone to wrestle with. You know what the word Israel means? Those who wrestle with God. I had to look to find a, a picture of Jacob wrestling with an angel without wings, because you know how I am about that. And uh, there are no wings on angels, by the way, in the Bible. So I had to find one. But Jacob wrestled with an angel all night long, and he was blessed for it. He was blessed for it. We are blessed by having those relationships that are challenging. And a long-term friendship, a long-term marriage is like Israel. There's a wrestling going on. But it's not a hateful wrestling. It's a, a contending that brings out the best in us. And there's nothing wrong with it. People who never wrestle can be just really uninteresting people because they've never strengthened. They've never brought out the best in what they do. Your muscles work better when they are stressed a little bit. If your life is really easy, you're not going to grow. Practicalities. You can tell if you have a primary relationship if you're kept up on each other's stories. You know what's going on in their life. You know when their kids move out. You know 
what financial challenges they're facing. You're up to date on their story. If you're not up to date on someone's story, you might have someone who's a best man at your wedding, and I've got a great guy who was a best man at my wedding, wonderful guy, but I'm not up on his story very often. Uh, it's, you need to be up on top of things in order to have a primary relationship. Jesus didn't have to ask Peter, James, and John what was going on. Didn't have to, they knew what was going on in their lives the whole time because they were doing life together. And you have to be caught up on each other's stories. You might have someone you get along with great, but you only see them twice a year, and you don't really catch up on each other's stories. That's sort of the litmus test on whether or not you have a primary relationship. Are you caught up on each other's stories? Next one, beware of a negativity bias. Wendy and I heard a great podcast on this yesterday in the car. And human beings have a negativity bias in their brains. God put it there for our own survival. Why? Because we're not the top of the food chain. And when we were out for centuries, we're out there and there's bears and lions and sharks and everything else. And it was dangerous to walk from town to town because something could happen. And you always had to kind of be on your alert for bad news. And bad news gets your attention quickly, really quickly, which is why I ended up leaving the media because if it bleeds, it leads, is very real. And I'm really concerned for our country right now because we're getting so much bad news on the news that it's affecting people. In fact, I don't think we have news anymore. I think we have disaster porn. It's, uh, it's, and it's worse than sexual porn because it really depresses people. They're watching all of this horrible stuff all the time. And statistically, things have never been better. Crime is half of what it was in 1993, violent crime. And all kinds of good things are happening all over the world. None of you would want a dentist from 1948. None of you would want medical care from 1948. None of you would want to go back to that. You women, I mean, a few generations ago, all you could do vocationally was, was be a teacher or a nurse. That was it. You couldn't use your gifts if they were used elsewhere. You certainly couldn't teach in a church, except if you're foursquare. There's, it's really challenging. It's, there's a lot of things that have gotten a lot better. And statistically, just like airplanes are the safest way to fly, but they still scare us because we're up there in the air. But we all know that it's by far the safest way, way safer than the 405. And yet we get, you know, we get nervous about airplanes. We don't get nervous. Well, we do get nervous about the 405 from time to time. But still, I guess what I'm saying is we have a negativity bias cooked into us for survival. But people, we've solved the big animal problem. We really have. Only in the last few generations have we really solved that. Who here is really knows somebody who's eaten by a bear or by... It doesn't happen anymore. But we still have that, that negativity bias, which God gave us for our, own, for our own survival. But we apply it often to our relationships. And we look for things in the relationship that are bad, and we, we tend to focus and fixate on the bad stuff. It happens almost all the time. And we... We, have, we forget about grace, and we start looking at all the flaws of someone else, the typical like henpecked wife or husband who's just been picked at by the other person for a long time, and there's nothing much left because we're always looking at the negative, and that has to do with our negativity bias. We have to watch for that because if you let your negativity bias take over a relationship, your relationship will end. You ever seen really nasty divorces? The negativity bias is just shouting at each other. It's just they don't see anything positive about each other at all anymore. So 
Enjoy putting his or her joy first. Having It's a lot of fun to do things for your primary relationship that just make them happy. My wife, every night, makes the coffee ready. So when I come downstairs, I always get up before Wendy. I know that she comes to bed because when I wake up, she's there. And uh, she goes, she's more of a night owl. I'm less of a night owl. And I get up in the morning, and all I have to do is press the button because the coffee's already in the filter that's all ready to go. And she does that just because she knows that makes me happy. And in return, I start brewing the coffee. And then I go over, and I, on our big screen TV, I pick out a film on YouTube with beautiful scenery, one of those 4K things. And she likes to watch that while she does her Bible and other stuff in the morning. So she comes downstairs, and she sees this beautiful flying over Greece or something like that. And we do that for each other just to just to bring joy into a relationship. One of the best things you can do for a primary relationship is do little things that bring joy into that person's life. And uh, it's if you have a long-term primary relationship, you can stop doing that. And it's not good. It's important to keep looking for things that help each other out. That's just such a big key. You can only work on yourself. If we fixate on our uh, primary relationship person's flaws and not our own, the minute we start doing that, you get into the log and speck thing in the Bible. We start to see the log in our, our partner's eye, and we don't see the speck. And uh, how does it work? No. There we go. This is this is this is why I have you in the front row. Um, we see the speck. There we go. Speck in the other's eye. Log. You know what I'm saying, don't you? You've heard that before? Okay. We, we start to focus on that, and we get all goofed up with it. And we can start to fixate on that, but you can only work on yourself. And we need to work on ourselves and our relationships. And I have to ask my, we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing to work on myself so that I can be a better partner for my primary relationship? How can I do that better? How can I work on my stuff? That doesn't mean you don't bring up the other person's stuff from time to time because he or she needs that. But if that becomes our main focus rather than our own improvement, then we start to head down the path of negativity bias. And that will, that will wreck any relationship really, really fast. Marriage. Those of you who are married cannot put your parents first or your kids first. And you say, well, kids come first. Uh, no, your spouse comes first. Uh, if you put your kids first, and if you put your parents first, or if you put anyone else first, anyone else first, it's just wrong. Your spouse has to come first because your spouse is the one who's promised in front of a whole bunch of people to stay with you. We call that a wedding. You get up in front of people, and you you make the vows in front of everybody and God and say, I'm going to have your back, you're going to have my back, and we're going to stick this out till one of us is dead. That's a pretty big promise in public. And people who make that promise, you have to put that relationship First, and that's in front of your front of your friends, in front of your maid of honor, best man, in front of your. And we want to put our kids first, but your kids leave. They leave, and if we put your kids first, you might just overparent them. And who wants that? Uh, your your parents are going to die. Your kids are going to leave. Your spouse is the one who stays. The spouse has to come first. Has to come first. That's just so very important. If you're not married, you should have one relationship that comes first. 
one relationship that no matter what comes first, no matter what. I invite the worship team up here. The other one is to have a relationship, don't just talk it to death. I think marriage counseling can help a little bit. Relationship counseling can help a little bit. But it's so very important to have a relationship, to go out and do things together, to uh, to work together, to make things happen together, to build something together, to run a business together, do something, raise kids together, do something together that's not just talking. Because you can talk a relationship to death, and sometimes you just need to have a relationship. And the most important thing of all, I'm going to close with this, which is Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Put the Lord first in your relationships. If you put the Lord first in your relationships, the grace that God has given us will continue towards the other person. And if we ask the Lord, how can I grow this relationship? How can I find and maintain a primary relationship? How can I do these things? If we keep the Lord in the middle of it, we're always going to have that person's best interest at heart. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's stand and let's pray, and uh, let's enter into a time of singing about God's grace for each other and for us. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Your word has so much wisdom about relationships, and your son, of all the people who walked the earth, probably needed the least from others because he contained all of that power in himself. And yet, he maxed out with three primary relationships with Peter, James, and John and went the distance with them. And he showed us the way, Lord, too to work on those relationships and to put those relationships first. Lord, I want to pray for people who really want to start at least one and don't have one right now. I pray, Lord, that you would put someone in his or her path on a regular basis and that you would set off a little light in this person's mind so he or she can see this, this is the person I need to start this relationship with, to be a friend we can have a friend. And for people who have those primary relationships, Lord, I pray that we'd find new ways to bring joy into them. That we'd be as gracious with each other as you are with us. That we'd be grateful that, uh, that we have them. For so often we go through parts of our lives without primary relationships. And some of us, Lord, have uh, had a primary relationship and that person's gone on to be with you and that's just so hard. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to bring other people into our lives, Lord, and to, uh, to continue good relationships, whether they're marriage or not. We pray, Lord, for friendships where people are back-to-back defending one another and agreeing to do that uh, all the way down the line. And, Lord, as we sang earlier, we, we have a hunger for these things. And if anybody has given up on it, Lord, given up on primary relationships altogether, Lord, I pray that you would break that curse right now. It's always possible, Lord. It's always possible to establish and grow 
a primary relationship because that's what you want for us. And if you want it for us, you're going to help make it happen. You're going to give us a tailwind, Lord, and uh, and help that to come together. And if there's something blocking us from those relationship relationships, Lord, something in our behavior, something about the way we are, we pray that your Holy Spirit would gently point it out to us, not in a condemning way, but in a corrective way. And Lord, if we're feeling a lot of pain from broken relationships we thought were primary, Lord, I pray that you would heal that so it wouldn't get in the way of uh, connecting deeply with another person. We give you thanks, Lord, that you're a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like a holy trinity, Lord, and as it said in Ecclesiastes, we can have the same thing with a threefold cord, us, the other person, and you. We pray that you'd be the center of uh, every relationship we make, that you would bless it, Lord, even when we wrestle. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jen was uh, singing, reminded of something one of the men said in our men's group. Lynn Thurlton, he's uh, along with Bud Potter, is sort of the Yoda of the group, the older guy who knows everything. And uh, asked him what he thought, and he said uh, the main reason people struggle with primary relationships is they don't think that somehow they're worth it. And if there's anybody who feels that way, that somebody wouldn't be blessed to be in a primary relationship with you. We need to lay that at the foot of the cross. Because you are made in the image of God. You're his masterpiece. And there's people out there who would be blessed to be in that primary relationship with you. So if the enemy has told you and lied to you and said, you're not fit for that, I invite you to break that curse in Jesus' name. I invite you to receive a blessing. Heavenly Father, we pray a blessing on everyone here, a blessing of joy that we're made in your image. You delight in us. Uh, as Jen was singing, you're in love with us. Every time you think of us and see us, you delight. You want to be in a relationship with us. We must be worth it. Lord, I pray that we would carry that self-worth, not from 
something we've achieved, but the very fact that we're made in your image into our relationships, those of us seeking them, those of us who have them. We just pray for that knowledge that we were made for those relationships and that you will bless them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, there are donuts that are not eaten. I, I was told this morning. I was told this morning that uh, they know somebody who thinks that donuts come with church, and they were surprised to find donuts in other places. So uh, make sure we eat everything up, so nobody has to bring anything home. And uh, talk to somebody that you don't know very well. It's a good idea to, in this time of COVID and crazy Afghanistan stuff, to connect with each other and walk up to someone and uh, and uh, say hi. Uh, I'd like to get to know you a little better. And share a banana or a donut together, and we'll see. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>